I think that going forward, we're all going to be a little more understanding, a little more empathetic, and a little more sympathetic to the needs of our fellow people. You're listening to the Mental Health Download from the nonprofit Mental Health Association Oklahoma, which is a proud affiliate of the national organization Mental Health America. I'm Matt Gleason. On today's episode, our guest is Paul Gianfrido, President and CEO of Mental Health America. Paul has worked in a variety of health and mental health-related positions during a career spanning more than 40 years. He joined Mental Health America in 2014. His policy memoir, Losing Tim, How Our Health and Education Systems Failed My Son with Schizophrenia, was published in 2014. With all that being said, Paul, it's an honor to welcome you to the Mental Health Download. Thanks, Matt. It's great to be here. You know, my first question is obviously, how is COVID-19 affecting your life right now? Well, it's affecting my life quite a bit. I'm sitting here in Connecticut talking to you instead of in my office 330 miles away in Alexandria, Virginia. And like a lot of people, uh, we're under orders to try to stay at home if we can. Uh, Those people in my age group have been told from the start that we're at special risk and need to have been paying attention to this, but it really has changed everything. Uh, But at the same time, I've tried to have it change as little as possible. I get up at the same time every day, take care of work stuff virtually these days, and then try to do my same evening routine as well. But what I've done, my wife and I have done, is also to try to carve out a little time each day to take care of ourselves and do some things we enjoy doing, not just sitting and watching the news. Yeah. Like what are some of those things well, that you're enjoying? We, we live fortunately very close to a, a city park that is right up against a state park with hundreds of acres of wooded preserved land. And uh, we take walks over there. It's a very special place to us because we have a memorial tree there for one of our family members. It's a place where uh, we had our wedding reception when we got married And so that's special. And so we do get out, we take these walks. And for me, I've been getting many more hours on my accordion, which is something I haven't been able to do as much while I've been at Mental Health America the last six years. So my accordion sits here in the same room as I'm sitting right now. And later on, it'll come out for a half hour or so. (laughs) That is phenomenal. Oh my goodness. I'm so glad I asked that question. All right. So, um, and, and plus a little levity for such a serious time, right? Um, okay. So, you know, what do you foresee as being the biggest mental health implications of COVID-19? Well, we have to understand that everybody is worried about COVID-19 and that for many people, when the disease abates, the worry will abate as well. But for too many people, that worry transforms to anxiety and that anxiety can transform into severe clinical anxiety. And we need to understand that just as people who are physically fragile may be at greater risk of a bad outcome related to COVID-19, people whose mental health was fragile also may be at risk of worse outcomes because of the the concerns and the anxiety and and other mental health conditions that are being exacerbated by COVID-19. So what is Mental Health America doing as it relates to the COVID-19 response to help the people you serve? Well, fortunately, we've spent a lot of time in the last few years building our virtual constituencies. We have nearly a million followers online across all platforms at this point, and we've produced a lot of content 
that works in virtual communities and in the virtual world. So for us, we've been doubling down on a lot of those efforts. We've been producing a lot of information and material. We've been gathering uh, materials that our affiliates have produced and trying to share them widely because the more we can use the technology that we've got available to us to promote connections and social connections, the better off we're going to be because we're not going to have as many of those direct personal contacts uh, for the next few months that we've been used to having. For the audience, we'll have a link to Mental Health America's amazing information um, that we actually have posted on uh, Mental Health Association Oklahoma's main page at the very top on a banner. That's how awesome that information is. Uh, but we'll also include the link in the show notes. Um, okay, so you know, what are you all recommending Mental Health America affiliates like Mental Health Association Oklahoma do to help continue helping those we serve and also, you know, take care of our, our staff, you know, like our own mental health so we can continue to serve the people who need us most. Yeah, I, I'm glad you mentioned the staff right there, because if we don't take care of ourselves first, we're not going to be in a position to take care of anybody else. And the people who work in the physical health area have long understood that, that they they need to take care of themselves to take care of others. But in our field, Often we've tried to do what people have told our constituents to do all too often, which is to try to tough it out. So first and foremost, um, we've been trying to make sure, and I know you have too, that our, our staff are feeling supported and connected to one another. There's you know a group of people that are working incredible hours, and then there's another group of people that are feeling incredibly isolated. And sometimes it's an overlap. People who are feeling isolated or working these incredible hours. So we're trying to get people to take care of themselves and, and even do some things online that are social and non-work related uh, just to give people opportunities to do more. And I think that's what we need to be doing with our constituencies as well. You know, I like to tell people that uh, in particular, people with serious mental health conditions, um, they are more used to dealing with isolation than people who don't have them. And they have developed a lot of coping strategies to deal with isolation that are shareable. And we've had projects and programs that have engaged people in their own voices to talk about their experiences. And so I'm finding that this is an opportunity to learn from people who have dealt with the isolation and have them inform the rest of us about this at the same time that we're reaching out to them and recognizing that if we can't see them in person, we have to take the first step to make sure that we can connect with them more virtually. As horrible as this crisis is, there will be a silver lining after all of this of innovations, like you mentioned, that came that will have been developed during this crisis that will better serve people with serious mental illness. For instance, uh, so this week, Mental Health Association Oklahoma, we launched virtual support groups, you know, uh, via Zoom calls, just like the one we're on right now. And, you know, before this crisis, I don't know if we would have been in the mindset to think, well, you know, we can do this virtually, you know, we're, we're very much about, we need to be in the room, we need to be face to face, which is important. But, you know, in times like these, doing these virtual calls are very helpful. And, we're actually going to be able to reach out to the entire state now. We're actually offering these virtual sport groups to anyone in Oklahoma and beyond. Um, and so that is, I think that's a silver lining. What are some of those other innovations, some of those silver linings that you see? Well, uh, here, here's another one. Uh, we've been in a society and, and at Mental Health America broadly, our primary constituency is young. Uh, 
And we've been in a society where people either have gathered in groups or they have texted. And these have been the two primary means of communication. And with all of this in between that, as I say, people who have texted can start using the phone to call their smartphone. People who in my generation who were used to just calling can now start using the video chat functions that they have on their phones. I think we're learning that as, as, as bad as the reputation of technology has been in recent years about social media bullying and, and all, all of that, that we're now finding how important the technology can be when we use it appropriately, because it gives us an opportunity to connect in ways we would have not have connected. Two weeks ago, if we were gonna do this, right? We wouldn't be doing this in video conferencing. We, we made a phone call and we, okay, we're gonna record something like this. And, and that would have been like, okay, that, that's great. But now we're recognizing, let's do this. and so let's see each other's faces and our smiles and all that kind of stuff. And it does make a difference and it does help. So, so I think that um, this better use of technology, more appropriate use of the technology that's been sitting there, waiting for us to use it this way, is going to come out of this. And that will be another silver lining. And I think the broader silver lining, too, then will be more appreciation for what it means to be connected and, and what we have to do in order to connect with people. You know, we have tended to think that people could live in isolation and that it wouldn't be that hard until we all had to start doing it ourselves. And after a few hours, began to figure out this is a lot harder than it ever looked. So I think that going forward, we're all going to be a little more understanding, a little more empathetic, and a little more sympathetic to the needs of our fellow people. Wow. You are so good, Paul Gianfrido. I've seen you at, at your at the MHA conference on stage, uh, and you're always so good. But like, man, you are a brilliant speaker. I'm so excited to be talking to you. Okay. All right. So let's see what the next question is. You know, Right now, you know, here in Oklahoma, there that we've shut down all non-essential services, and so, you know, uh, what coping techniques would you recommend for people who have lost their jobs and businesses, or are or are struggling to keep their jobs and businesses? That's such a good question because it's first and foremost on on so many minds, and it kind of gets me into a, a broader response first, which is for anybody that you know we have to just try to keep control over the things we can have control over but those that we don't um, we have to, to let those go as much as possible and some people are really concerned about the financial aspects of this and and we hear a lot in the news media about how devastating the financial consequences could be but in some respects that's just money and you know the members of the administration congress essentially can print that money and give it to us. And it looks like they are, you know, it looks like in the packages that if your primary worry is about money, that they're going to take that off the table so that, that people will have jobs to go back to hopefully. But in the meantime, they're also going to get paid uh, for a period of months uh, while this happens. So for me, the, the bigger issue really is what isn't related to money. And when we started looking at our screening data, and trying to assess what was happening when somebody asked the question, are people feeling more anxious about this? And we found that they were. And in the, the first two, three weeks of this worry, more than a thousand excess you know, screeners screened at severe anxiety. 
And we then looked and said, well, can we control for the, the stock market crash? Because a lot of people would say, well, it's probably about the money. And what we learned was it's not about the money. You know, the last time the stock market crashed in December 2018, the anxiety screenings went down and the results got better. And so it's it's not for most people about the money. It's really about the worry of the uncertainty about their futures. It's if I'm losing a job, it's am I losing my self-worth? Am I going to have a job to go back to? Am I going to define my self-worth the same way? Not just am I going to have a paycheck? And for a lot of younger people who were taken out of school suddenly, I mean, you think about a, a high school junior right now who's just come out of school, and they were thinking that this last spring semester was when they're going to get their grades up and they're going to start looking at colleges and they're going to take those uh, college entrance exams, the SATs, or and, and they're going to go ahead and they're going to, you know, finish out the, the the season when they're finally on the varsity or on the club that they're on, they finally become an officer of the club and all that's taken away. And they're not looking at getting back to school again until the fall, much less wondering then what does that mean for what life is going to be like after this? So it's a broader question, I think, for people who have lost jobs or lost their educational situation. It's It really gets to how do I deal with the uncertainty? And all we can do is come back to those things that we can control. We can control our breathing. We can control getting up in the morning. We control going to bed at night. We control what we do during the day. But we can't control this other thing right here. And it's a very humbling experience for us all. But I worry that the uncertainty that will result for some people is going to be too great for them to manage if we don't pay attention to it. Tell us about um, how people can do Mental Health America's mental health screenings, how they can go online right now and take that screening and how that works. Yeah, it's so easy. And all you have to do is go to mhascreening.org or go to our website. And there's a link right on the front page of our website at mhanational.org to screening. You screen for free. You screen anonymously. You can screen as often as you feel you need to screen. And there are nine separate tools, all evidence-based tools, the same ones that clinical providers would be using to assess your level of depression or anxiety, psychosis, or, or any of the others that are, that are up there. And the reason I recommend that people do this is because you get a result right away and it can really give a little more order and understanding to what it is you're going through. So if you're, you're a lot of people who screen or, or, or who, who search for this, you know, search through terms like I'm thinking stupid thoughts you know, and, and to wonder whether or not those stupid thoughts uh, should be a cause for concern. A screen can be very reassuring. Just take the screen and it'll tell you. And But if it is a cause for concern, then we give people a lot of information about what they can do to learn more about how it is they can take care of themselves. And even in some areas, uh, to learn more about how to get connected to somebody outside who can provide support for them when they need it, because we want everybody to get that support, especially now that can be done virtually like this. Yeah. 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 Um, it's an amazing service. Thank you that you guys offer that. Actually, I just saw in USA Today story and it mentioned that, you know, President Trump mentioned that he anticipates that the suicide rate is going to spike during this time. How do you think the national suicide rate is going to be affected? And, you know, how can um, people listening right now, can how can they reach out and help somebody, even though we are socially social distancing, how can they, if they're worried about someone, how can they offer help and assistance? Yeah. And, and 
I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, right now, we lose more than a thousand people a day to suicide in the United States. And it's not like that number is going to go down uh, during a time like this. So some, although sometimes during times of crisis, we actually see dips in numbers because people start trying to take care of other people and in doing so end up taking care of themselves. But I think that there's no question that if we don't take the mental health aspects of this seriously, that we will see bad outcomes. We won't know about that for a couple of years because we don't get all that those data for a couple of years. But nobody thinks that you can avoid talking about mental health or acting on, on mental health. Nobody believes that you can wait till the last minute and not intervene as early as you possibly can and think you're going to get a good outcome. So I'm reluctant to speculate about where the suicide rates will go exactly uh, in this these next few weeks and months and, and until we learn more about them. But I want to do everything we can to prevent those rates from going up. And part of the way we prevent those rates from going up is to help people understand when worry is transforming to anxiety and help people screen and get a result and start acting in a proactive, positive way and us doing so on their behalf as well, as opposed to just sitting there isolated, buried in the worry. Yeah. And um, tell people how important the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is. It's extremely important for people to know that these resources are out there. Uh, not only can people screen anonymously with us, there's a, a crisis text line that they can use if they want to text back and forth. There is the suicide uh, hotline that's 24 hours a day, seven days a week that people can call. There are also often in, in many communities, many of our affiliates run warm lines that people can use as well if they're they're reluctant to call, you know, a, a national 800 number or can't quite think of it. Um, they can often find a warm line and just talk to somebody uh, who is living through the same experiences that you're living through at the time. So, so there are ways out there to get connected. And, and there's a nationally coordinated way. Again, that national line is, is run by one of our affiliates, the Vibrant Emotional Health, which is the New York City affiliate of Mental Health America. Despite what's happening there, they're equipped with people all throughout the country to take those calls. So people can't be shy about calling. Um, those lines, but there are a number of other places to go to. And the bottom line is just stay connected and take care of yourself. Okay. Um, before we wrap up, I just want to ask you how many Mental Health America affiliates are there? We, we have between 160 and 170 active affiliates, and then an additional 40 associate members who are not full affiliates, but are part of our community and are also uh, independent organizations like our affiliates are. So a couple of hundred of us around the country. Can you give our audience, you know, a call to action to support those organizations across the country that are doing so much good? Yeah, MHA affiliates are, you know, many of them have been around for a long time and they've done great work and they've done it on limited support and, and limited resources. And right now there are a lot of people sitting at home wondering, you know, where can I volunteer my time and resources and what organizations can I help? And there are a lot of great organizations doing a lot of work around COVID-19 right now. But the MHA affiliate community is doing some extraordinary work as well in trying to deal with the mental health impacts of this pandemic that we're facing right now. And it's, it's a great place to invest some time, some energy, and some resources if you're looking for a local organization that's doing great things 
uh, for people with compelling and significant needs. Yeah. Okay. Um, we just met in person on the Zoom call, but if there is any chance for you to pick up your accordion and play <laughs> just a few <laughs> notes, that's, that's not going to happen. Okay. I had to try. I had to try. You Paul. had to. You Everybody had to. Try. Wants to... <laughs> I, I'm thinking of uh, a recording or or having my wife video put it up on youtube or something that I just refer people to this i do for me <laughs> oh that response was just as good as you as playing the accordion okay so uh let's close things out uh, close things out so um at the end of each podcast we ask the guests to share a bit of wisdom and then close us out with the rallying cry go do good things which um you know our ceo mike bros um he he tells us that at the end of each meeting and it, and it really puts things into perspective that we all have the power to make a difference so Paul, share a bit of wisdom, tell people to go do good things, go play some accordion, and then go out and change the world. Yes, be well, stay safe, and go and do good things. <laughs>